You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. The wage of the righteous leads to life, the gain of the wicked to sin. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. When the wicked dies, his hope will perish, and the expectation of wealth perishes too. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favour is better than silver or gold. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honour and life. Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. Two things I ask, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be fallen, deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Um, and so, like we've been saying all uh, around, we've we've been looking at the book of Proverbs, and in particular, we've been looking over a bunch of different topics that have to do with life and faith. But it's always important to remember what the main point of Proverbs is, and you find it in chapter 9, verse 10, and that is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, when we say the fear of the Lord, we're not saying you should be afraid of God or scared of God, but we are saying that having a reverence, having an understanding that God is God and that we're not, that is the beginning of wisdom. And so, uh, to fully understand this topic that we're about to dig into, um, we need to really mine the rest of Proverbs to understand that. And you might be familiar that when you go to a dinner party, they, say, they normally say there's three things that you shouldn't talk about, right? Politics. Anyone know the other two? 
Sex and religion? I hadn't ever heard the sex one, but that's that's good, yeah. Old fashioned, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> religion was on point. The other one I've heard though is money. Should never talk about religion and money at a dinner party, but we're going to hit both of those up today. So uh, I'm very much looking forward to this. Um, when it comes to wealth, we are living in a really interesting time. Did you know that there's a billionaire made almost every day? Extreme poverty is on the rise. And if you're a part of the middle class like I am, uh, almost in the middle class, we're feeling the pinch more than ever financially. Money is the number one cause of divorce. It's a major cause of anxiety. And for a lot of people, it determines what we might call our quality of life. But money, even the lack of it, can be a huge source of blessing. We've all seen just incredible examples of philanthropy from the wealthy, and we've all heard those inspiring stories of people who have just incredible resilience and have brought themselves out of poverty, but even have joy in their poverty. So one question that I think would help test for us how we think about wealth is what do you think is more valuable to you? Having a lot of money or being able to live on a little? What's more valuable? On the, on the surface, the book of Proverbs actually seems to contradict itself on this question. In chapter 10, verse 22, it says, the blessing of the Lord makes a person rich and he adds no sorrow with it. But in chapter 28, verse 6, it says, better to be poor and honest than rich and crooked. So which one is it? Is it good to be rich? Is it bad to be rich? What does wealth do for us? And what on earth does God want from our money? So we're going to kind of scan through the book of Proverbs to look at this, and we're going to do it in four parts. So part one is that we're going to say that wealth is a blessing. Wealth is a blessing. Um, wealth is given in a very positive light in Proverbs in a lot of different ways, and it describes giving wealth as a blessing. In chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So here it seems like God is saying he will reward us with great riches when we act righteously and when we give money to the poor or to the work of ministry. Now, it's unfortunate that in Christianity's past, religious leaders have taken verses like this to whip people into giving more. They'll say things like, the more that you give, the more that you'll get. And the more that you get, God will bless you abundantly and you'll have this incredibly rich and wealthy life. Like Kirby mentioned earlier, this is called what we often call the prosperity gospel. But in fact, it's not a gospel at all. It's taking scripture and it's using it to extort people with this false promise that God wants you to be monetarily wealthy. I'm very grateful that City on a Hill Surf Coast does not preach that here. Um, 
But what is Proverbs saying? Well, it is saying that God desires our righteousness more than the reward of money. And when we choose not to be overly concerned about building up our finances or, um, or building a, a wealth security, um, and we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Jesus will give us not exactly what we want, but exactly what we need. And if you believe that God has created all things, then you know that money isn't, the money that we have isn't really ours anyway. God's kind of given it to us on loan for us to use for our good and His glory. And oftentimes, giving, our, giving of our money to God is what we call a tithe. Now, in the Old Testament, a Jewish tithe was giving the first tenth of your income to the temple in Jerusalem. And what the idea of that would mean is that that money would go towards continuing the work of ministry and by serving the poor for a whole nation. Now, we don't give that kind of tithe today. In fact, in the New Testament, um, we aren't even really given a specific amount to tithe. Jesus does talk about tithing, uh, and Paul does talk about giving cheerfully. But today we tithe to to the local church. And if you're wondering what that might look like, the 10% number is kind of a good place to start. But more important than that, it's about giving cheerfully, worshipfully, and coming as our first expense. But other than tithing, Proverbs talks about our money being a blessing when we use it wisely. So in chapter 28, it says, Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. In chapter 11, it says the wicked earn deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. So we're we're challenged to consider the poor with our wealth and to use it for righteousness. I can think of a, a couple of Pretty incredible examples. I, I, we, like I said before, I, I run this Alpha course uh, in Melbourne, and the the Alpha course is really designed for people who are skeptics, who are seekers, or who are opponents of Christianity, and allows them to come in, sit around a dinner table, and ask big questions. This course started back in 1993 by one church in England, and over the last 30 years, it's estimated that. Over 30 million people have taken this course worldwide now. Countless of people have come to know Jesus through it. Now, do you know how much we charge for people to do the Alpha course? Nothing. Do you know how much it cost us as a church to run the course? Nothing. The only way that this course could be spread out throughout the world is that there are several individuals and maybe some big donors that decided, you know what, giving to a cause that's going to help the gospel go out around the world is worth my money. Uh, Many of you might remember Billy Graham, this amazing worldwide preacher and had these evangelistic crusades. Um, I tried to look up some of the the, uh, stats on this, but I, I think what I found was there's estimated that all of his evangelistic events over the course of his years, 200 200 million people attended them. 
And an estimated 3 million individuals accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior through them. Now, how much did it cost to go to one of those big events? Nothing. How much money did they ask for people to contribute? Nothing. How on earth could they afford that? Well, it's because some individuals, some, some incredible donors, some wealth, wealthy people, decided, let's give our money to this incredible mission. I've even heard that there's this church just outside of Torquay that meets outdoors, they give to the community, they are doing incredible work for the gospel, not just on Sunday mornings, but all throughout the week. And it's just been incredible what God has done here. Who wouldn't want to give their money to that? There's amazing opportunities, as you would know, that we can give our finances to the poor. Many Rooms is a, is a ministry of City on a Hill all over the place where we have kitchens that serve the homeless. We've got a living room ministry that allows many volunteers to go into uh, care facilities and care for the elderly. Um, there's a shed, a shed that's around here, I think, in, uh, in the Geelong area where you can um, go and help uh, single mothers and people that are doing it tough to clean up their yard or, or fix something in their house. There's some incredible ways to give your money. Um, you know, you can provide to thousands of nonprofits, help people access clean drinking water, bring people out of sex slavery. There's neighborhoods, maybe your neighbor down the road's doing it tough. There's so many different ways that we can use our money. And all of that money is God's money because He's given it to us as a gift to bless others. However, money can also be a trap, can't it? My guess is that money isn't necessarily a trap for us here because we have too much of it. But I think it's more likely that our desire, it's our desire for money that traps us. There's nothing wrong with working hard and building your wealth. In fact, Proverbs would say, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. But oftentimes when we look around us and at our neighbours, and honestly, if I'm being confessing something here, every time I come down here and go to the beach and see the people running along the beach, you know, that's their daily thing they get to do. I've often thought I would pray more, I would be so much more holy if I could do that on the beach every morning, right? Oftentimes we look around and we see people's lifestyles or we see the toys that they've got. Maybe they've got that four-wheel four drive that you've always wanted or that camper van or something like that. And we can often think, if I just had a little bit more money to get one of those things, I'd be okay. Money can be a trap, which is what takes us to part two. We've said wealth, it can be a blessing, but wealth is also dangerous. Wealth is dangerous. Um, there's been several studies in recent years that have sought to compare the poor and the rich uh, on a broad range of moral failings. The data would suggest that the rich actually outperform every other socioeconomic demographic when it comes to moral failings. The rich are more likely to cheat. They're more likely to lie. They're more likely to shoplift. That was a weird one. They're more likely to commit adultery and break traffic rules. And according to one study in 2012, the rich are actually more likely to steal candy from children. 
Ancient historians, the Stoic philosophers, religious thinkers, they actually taught that accruing lots of wealth would be the main cause of the downfall of society. But yet today we, we talk about money and wealth as a sign of achievement and success. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus warns his followers to be on guard against all kinds of greed and, cover, and coveting your neighbor's possessions. And I think he says this because greed is something that, we, that often creeps in on us without us knowing. As a pastor, I've heard a lot of confessions from people, but I don't think once I've, have I ever heard someone say, I need to confess my greediness. Now, why didn't Jesus say, let's be on guard against all kinds of adultery? Let's be on guard uh, for all kinds of sexual sin. Well, it's because you know it when you're committing adultery. You don't just all of a sudden wake up one day and say, oh, that's not my wife. (laughs) You know you're making that choice, right? And this is why money can be so dangerous. It can often lead us to all kinds of greed without us even knowing it. Proverbs warns us of these dangers. In chapter 28, it says, Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. And in verse 11, it says, A rich man is wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has understanding will find him out. Lying, crooked ways, and vanity can be the consequence of having a lot of money, Proverbs says. And these are some of those sinister consequences that money might produce. But there's also some subtle ones. They're the ones that kind of creep up on us that we're not aware of. One way to test whether your money is becoming dangerous for you is maybe by doing an audit of your discretionary spending. Um, this is a bit of a, a scary thing to do, but if you were to go through the, the discretionary spending, you know, the extra money that you have on hand, and you go through your, your bank account statement over the last month and highlight all those things that you've spent money on, that might reveal something to you about your heart and where your treasure goes to. Um, oftentimes, some negative consequences can come without spending money at all. Sometimes it's just that endless scrolling on Amazon or that walk through Bunnings, looking for the next thing to buy that you didn't know that you need. Now, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying that can sometimes be a bit unwise. A minister friend of mine who actually used to be on our staff, his name's Dave Horn, and he recently shared three things that, in his opinion, are the hardest to say and probably the rarest to hear in our culture. The first one was, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Second one was, I disagree, but we can still be friends. You never hear that. But the third one I thought was really insightful. The third one, he said, I can't afford that. I can't afford that. You very rarely hear say that. Proverbs says, pretend to be rich. Many people pretend to be rich and yet have nothing. So wealth can be dangerous and wealth can be a blessing. So what should we do? Should we desire money? Should we run from it? 
Well, I think Proverbs offers us a better answer. And this is what leads us to part three. Dependence is better. Dependence is better. Now, what kind of dependence are we talking about? Well, most of the book of Proverbs is filled with wisdom of a man named Solomon. But towards the end of the book, we encounter a couple of different authors, one of them being this man named Agar. And he begins his contribution to the book of Proverbs by a prayer. And then he has an interesting insight about dependence. And this is the verse that was printed on your bulletin. So if you want to, if you want to actually pull it out and have a look at it, we'll, we'll kind of pull it apart a little bit. So Agar says in verse 7, that's the first one that's printed up there. He says, two things I ask of you and deny them not before me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying and give me neither poverty nor riches. I think it's making this incredible insight. He doesn't want to be poor, but he also doesn't want to be rich. So what does he want to be? Well, have have a look at the rest of verse 8. He says, feed me with the food that is needful for me. Feed me with the food that's needful for me. There's another translation of this verse that translates it as, give me only my daily bread. Give me only my daily bread. Some scholars believe that Jesus might have been thinking about this verse when he was teaching his disciples how to pray. But Agar then qualifies what he's saying by explaining the dangers of both wealth and poverty. In verse 9, he says, uh, you know, uh, coming, actually coming from verse 8, he says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, in verse 9, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Agar is showing great humility here. He's aware of the dangers of poverty and of being rich. And he's aware that money can often blind us from the control it can have over us, whether we have a little or a lot. So he's saying that desiring only the bread, only the things that we need, is what we should be aiming for. That dependence is better. And this is a narrative we don't see in our culture, is it? Western world has, has put financial prosperity as, a, as the highest marker as a, in a successful life. And being poor can often be a sign of bad circumstances or hard luck or lack of motivation. But Proverbs isn't saying either of those things. It's, what it is saying is that poverty nor riches are the key to a satisfying life. But being dependent on God and his provision will give us a rich life in his kingdom. If you were to break it down to one sentence, you might say true wealth comes from poverty before God. True wealth becomes from poverty before God. So if you're in a, a comfortable financial position, what would it look like for you to wholeheartedly be dependent on God, not, not to view your wealth as a badge of honor, but to give it as a gift that would radically bless others.
And if you're struggling to end, make ends meet, what does it look like for you to wholeheartedly depend on God for what you need today and seek the generosity of others? The reality is we, we can't do this perfectly on our own. There'll, there'll be a recession that'll come. There'll be a day where like your super has doubled or your investment comes in. But like Agar warns, both money, money, sorry, both having money and being poor can be a trap for us. So we've got to rely, uh, we've got to rely on something else. We can't be dependent upon our own ability. So what is it that we should depend on? Well, this takes us to part four. The one to depend on. We can't avoid the trap of wealth or the fear of poverty by ourselves. But thankfully, God's given us his church to bless us and receive more than we could ever ask and imagine. And he's given us his word to draw wisdom from and prayer to be near to him. And when Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, it is saying that there's a certain kind of bankruptcy that we must declare before God. When we declare bankruptcy before God, what we're actually saying is that we'll never live up to the standard he's given us. But instead of judgment, (laughs) he exchanges it for a free gift. In 1 Timothy 2, it says that Jesus gave himself up for us as a ransom for all. He pays for the debt that we owe before God. And how can he do this? How can Jesus pay this debt that we owe God? Well, in 2 Corinthians 8, which is also on your bulletin, It says, for you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus exchanges our poverty before God from his wealth and his credentials for our judgment. You see, on the cross, Jesus reveals that he's the only one who could live a perfect life. And that he's the only one that could die the death that could pay for our poverty before God. And when he rose from the grave, he proved to us that he could do it. That our sinful lives were far from being perfect, but that he would give us his perfect life in exchange for our sin. You see, our freedom would be free. We would receive freedom from the danger of money. And we would receive his blessing of his grace. And he does this freely and willingly so that we don't have to earn his grace or earn his freedom. You see, Jesus taught his followers that actually it's blessed to be poor in spirit so that we might receive the kingdom of heaven. So when we declare bankruptcy before God, We're saying that we are also desiring this free gift of grace that he gives us in Jesus. And what happens then? Well, 
then you actually wake up every morning depending on the Holy Spirit to guide your decisions every day. You wake up receiving the ultimate wisdom that Jesus provides. You wake up receiving His church. You get to be a part of His church. You're a part of a people who are willing to give their money freely as a blessing and that they are willing to care for you when you are down and out. That's what you get when you declare your bankruptcy before God. So to the extent that we can become poor in spirit, we get to share in the immeasurable riches of Jesus' grace. So to have true wealth, we must become poor before God. Now, I don't know where this hits you today. Maybe, maybe you are in a comfortable position with your finances, and praise God for that. But maybe God is calling you to live a little more radically with your money. Maybe there are people that are sitting right in front of you, like Kirby described in, in India. Maybe they're not literally in front of you. But maybe there's some folks that God's put on your mind that you can use your finances to bless with. Maybe you are here and you are struggling financially and you're feeling ashamed. You're stressed out. You're feeling guilty of maybe some decisions that you've made in the past that have put you where you are. God's grace is here for you. There's someone better to depend on than your bank account. Or maybe you have... Maybe you're here and you've actually never considered what it's like to be bankrupt before God. Maybe you're sitting here and, look, life's been going just fine. Why on earth would I need to declare how bad I am before God? Well, let me submit to you that there is something better than the life you're currently living when you do say, God, I need you. I want to pray for us wherever God is leading you today. Because our money is important to Him. But even more important than that is your heart. And that's what He wants ultimately from us. Let me pray. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.